The unofficial end to summer is here. School has started for most, football season is upon us, and soon the leaves will be changing color. At the DSR Network, we remain as busy as ever with a full slate of podcasts scheduled for the fall. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching two new shows with new hosts, creating even more content for our members. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, bonus content, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of September, you'll receive 20% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SCHOOL at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SCHOOL. Thank you for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm David Rothkopf. I'm your co-host coming to you on uh, the beginning of another week um, as we record it. This is September 11th. 2023. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Of course, I'm joined by my uh, co-host for our, our beginning of the week podcast, our spy show podcast, uh, Mark Polymeropoulos of uh, many years in the uh, CIA. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing very well. I just got done with a, a pretty somber uh, hit on Morning Joe talking about 9-11 and kind of commem- comm- commemoration of 9-11 and you know, just the notion of uh, of sacrifice and a lot of the things that that certainly a lot of Glenn and I's colleagues um, have done over the years, and so pretty somber somber day, but uh, one to reflect and then uh, you know um, kind of just uh, just give a sense that that there are people out there um, you know who are willing to stand on the ramparts and, uh, and help protect Americans, and it's good to think about that sometimes. It is. It's good to think about the sacrifice, and we're very grateful um, to you, your colleagues, and all of those who sacrificed so much. Um, as uh, Mark intimated, we're joined today by uh, one of his uh, former colleagues from the agency, Glenn Chaffetz, who's got more than 30 years experience in government, academia, and the private sector. He retired from the CIA, where he served multiple overseas tours, including three as chief of station. He was also the directorate of operations, first chief of tradecraft and technology, um, Dr. Uh, Chafis currently directs a nonprofit called the 2430 Group, which disseminates information on nation state theft of intellectual property from American companies and universities. Welcome, uh, Glenn. Glad to be here. Thank you. There's a lot to cover. Um, uh, we're really glad to have you here. Um, there are a host of issues associated with. Uh, tradecraft and technology, which Mark and I spent a lot of time talking about offline. So we thought, let's talk about it online. Uh, but let me uh, leave the uh, first couple of questions here to Mark. Sure. 
so David, thanks, Glenn. It's awesome to have you here. Um, I don't think, you know, and, and we've known each other over the years. I don't know if I've ever talk, called you Dr. Chaffetz, and, but I shall and do so. And you don't need to start now. I love this. I, yeah. I love this. This is, uh, you know, in your, in your second life. But uh, you, I mean, the kind of the notion of, uh, of technology and how it affects uh, the CIA is something that, again, um, we've talked about before in this, this podcast. So I think you're actually perfectly suited to really kind of do a, a deep dive on this. Um, just uh, and again, I will call you Dr. Chaffetz during the whole time, and I think I'm, we're gonna have to with our mutual friend, you know, John Cipher and others. We're gonna have to kind of keep that going. If you're ever gonna come hang out with us at the Vienna Inn, yeah. our favorite water and home, we're gonna call you Doctor. Create created a monster. That's from yeah, many that's years ago. Let, but before we jump into the, you know, um, talking about technology and something we're gonna, we're gonna you're gonna hear uh, the audience will hear today what we call the, the UTS environment, ubiquitous technical surveillance environment. Um, I do want to just go back to 9-11 because it is a, it is a pretty somber moment. Um, you know, just, just reflecting a little bit in your time at CIA, you know, we all certainly were caught up in the counterterrorism fight. But, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on a day like this, uh, uh, waking up in the morning, seeing all the remembrances, yeah. obviously that, that terrible day on 9-11 and how our lives in the, in the counterterrorism field, in the, in the CIA, were actually affected by it? Yeah, I mean, this is always a hard day, I think, uh, for everybody. Um, uh, I'll start with something non-CIA, which is uh, I remember when the uh, towers were built. Uh, we took a field trip because I grew up nearby uh, to watch that. And um, I could scarcely believe it uh, when they came down. I can scarcely believe it now. Um, and then to think of uh, all the lives lost and, and how it changed all of us. Uh, forever is really quite uh, overwhelming uh, sometimes. Um, so I, I think everything that's, that's needed to be said is said. I think it's important um, um, that we remember um, uh, the lives lost, um, not just on that day, uh, but, but those of us and those we worked with um, who reacted to it and spent uh, years away from home, um, upended their personal lives, and, and many of our colleagues uh, lost their lives in that effort as well. So it's, it's hard to, to get through the morning thinking about that. I, I agree. And, you know, I think I, the, back to those days, I, was, I worked in the Counterterrorism Center for, for many years. I remember feelings of, of guilt, of anger, you know, you know, re, you know need for revenge and then resolve. Um, there was a there was a, a poster that was put up at, in CTC in the Counterterrorism Center after that, and it said every day is September twelfth, which is kind of that notion that that we're going to have that you know in, in kind of incredible commitment. And I guess we're going to switch the the tech piece in a second, but just a, it's a question that that you know I, I've been asked a lot. Um, I ask others, and it's a it, you know it, it, it's a hard answer. Um, and the question is, you know, are we safer from kind of uh, you know international terrorism now than we were? on 9-11. And, and, you know, what you want to do, of course, is use that famous CIA refrain, it depends. Um, yeah. But, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? If you had to, you know, give a give an elevator talk answer to are we safer right now than we were on September 11th in 2001? Yeah, it's, um, it's a difficult, uh, nuanced, um, even impossible question to answer. I think, I think probably yes. Um, I think um, those who would do uh, acts like September 11th know for certain 
uh, that we will respond and we will take as long as necessary um, to to find the perpetrators um, and and uh, deliver justice. Now, what that means and and how much effort that takes um, and whether it will stop another attack, I don't think anybody knows. Um, but but I think the one thing it is certain is um, everybody knows uh, that we will react uh, vigorously. And if they think that uh, they can pull something like this off and it will get us to retreat from the Middle East or whatever it is that uh, the mass murderers, which is what I prefer to call them, uh, whatever it is that the mass murderers think they will achieve, they will not achieve it. Let me, let me ask you a question to follow up on that. Um I'll get there tangentially, but I was I was listening to uh, 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 some of the rationale and the sentences of the January sixth um, uh, insurrectionists, and one of the judges was giving them lighter sentence because it didn't involve much loss of life. They thought that you know the terrorism statutes really should only apply if there's large loss of life. Um, and you know, I thought to myself, not only did that sort of underestimate the institutional consequences of that kind of terrorism, but it underestimated, uh, perhaps in the future, other kinds of consequences of terrorism. And you know, you've spent a lot of time at the intersection of technology and um, uh, these issues. It's just as likely that the next major terrorist attack on the United States is not kinetic. It does not involve even large loss of life. It could be a big cyber attack. Um, it could have a huge economic consequence. Uh, it could disrupt systems across the United States. It could compromise the the, the, the privacy data of of of, of thousands or millions of Americans. Um, and it could be devastating. But I wonder how we respond to that. I want, you know, I mean, we don't have the kind of doctrines we do when there is violence involved. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And I think it gets to something about um, human psychology. 9-11 um, was, um, was visible. It was dramatic. It was immediate. Um, it was terrifying. It was all of a sudden, um, and people pay attention to that. That's what we're, what's what that's what we're evolved to do. And um, I think your point is well taken. Uh, a bloodless coup is still a coup. Uh, an attack that we don't see and don't notice is still an attack. Um, this is really the ethos of uh, China right now. Um, this is this is the three uh, warfares. This is this is undermine the United States slowly, um, undramatically, so that the enemy does not notice. This goes back to Sun Tzu. Um, I, I could even make the argument uh, in opposition to that judge that January sixth was worse, um, in the sense that nine eleven um, destroyed property and killed almost 3,000 Americans. January 6th tried to destroy the fabric of United States democracy. Um, uh, in my view, destroying, destroying America 
uh, might be worse than than um, killing Americans. I don't mean to minimize the loss of life, but we're talking about a fundamental uh, shift in the way that the United States of America governs itself and a threat to uh, a key uh, element of what makes the United States special, which is uh, 250 years of the peaceful transfer of power. Um, and so uh, I, I would not minimize that. You know, there's there, there's something to be said for for that response. And first of all, I, David, I think that question was outstanding because we're talking about hybrid warfare. And that's something that, you know, I don't I don't know if, if you know, the, the kind of the national security community, the academic community is, is certainly thinking about this. But the response to hybrid warfare, both, you know, defensive and offensive, is something that's far different than a than a terrorist uh, attack. Let's uh, let's switch for a second to um, what we call, and I mentioned before, the UTS in, in environment. And you know, most Americans probably think that's you know some kind of medical condition, <laughs> but but in reality, it's it's probably the greatest challenge to human intelligence operations. Again, something Glenn that you and I did in, in our careers. Um, so ubiquitous technical surveillance. Do a little bit of a, a deep dive on this. So first of all, can you can you define for us what that is? Um, yeah, uh, ubiquitous technical surveillance is the uh, application of uh, sensors, data, and algorithms, uh, which has been developed over the last 30 years by uh, the private sector, mainly in the United States, uh, but elsewhere. And it, uh, to be blunt about it, it tracks uh, everything that all of us do. Um, and it does that for the purposes of selling us stuff and determining whether we're committing fraud and making networks, including traffic and energy and power and uh, 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 communications, efficient. Um, but it is essentially sensors, data, and algorithms. And, and it's baked into our lives to the point where most people don't even notice it. But to what extent does it uh, supplant the way the business used to be conducted? Um, you know, I mean, you, you know, you have bumblebee-sized drones, you have microscopic sensors, you have the ability to get in and around a society um, without making, you know, much of a, a visible stir, um, and you don't put human lives at risk doing that. Um, I, I, that's a great question, uh, David. I would argue that it's it's almost total. Um, I, I believe UTS um, is a revolutionary change uh, in how we conduct our business, one that we still have failed to understand and appreciate, and it's and it's changed the business in three. Fundamental ways, um, if, if I could take a little bit of time and explain and explain those ways. The first one, which I think is um, critical, is time. So uh, when uh, Mark and I, a thousand years ago, uh, went through training um, and we learned how to meet people in ways that uh, no one would see or hear of, um, we we knew that um, if we did not get caught in the act, we did not get caught. So we would come home from a meeting, uh, uh, throw off our uh, our bag, uh, pour ourselves a nice drink, uh, sp sprawl on the couch, and relax uh, with the knowing satisfaction 
that we were able to meet somebody who had information that we needed, um, and we did it safely uh, for that person and for ourselves. That is no longer possible. It's no longer possible because we can come home from that meeting and wonder forever where we caught on camera, where we caught on microphone. Um, did somebody accidentally record us with his or her cell phone and then give that uh, to the police? There are so many sensors, both mobile and fixed, around us that we don't, we're not even aware of them. Um, we're swimming in it. And um, so we never quite know. You can interrogate data uh, days, weeks, months, years, years. I've, I've seen this years after an act and discover it and find, uh, the spy. So, um, it's dramatically changed time. I think, um, the second thing is, uh, place, geography. Um, before, in order to know what I was doing, you had to be near me. Um, and before for me to collect information, I had to be near that information. Google collects on all of us all the time. It's it's the premier uh, spy in the world. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, in my house uh, right now to know what I'm doing. It, it, it knows because I'm using Google products. Um, so place is different now. Um, we used to have a phrase in our business, high CI threat environment. High counterintelligence threat environment. The entire planet is a high CI threat environment because the entire planet is networked with sensors um, and collects data, which can be accessed from anywhere and then processed with algorithms that are getting better and better and cheaper and cheaper. And then the last thing um, that, that has really changed everything is what we can know about a particular person. Um, now it's everything, uh, facial recognition, uh, data that doesn't go away. It's never deleted. Um, in, in 1980, a, a gig of data took up the space of a, of a modern refrigerator and cost $10 million. Now it takes up less than my pinky nail and it's essentially free. Um, that means I can collect data on Mark and you and, and me, and I can compare that data via algorithms and know exactly who I am. So the idea of saying, oh, I'm, I'm not an intelligence officer, I'm something else, that's gone away. So I think those three things are the fundamental changes. And we, uh, as an IC, still haven't come to grips with that. Glenn, let me, let me add, add a, uh, then, then ask a, a question, which is the immediate question as kind of the fundamental uh, you know, part of our business was was spotting, assessing, developing, you know, recruiting and handling agents. Yeah, um, these are these are you know uh, individuals, whether it's a Russian intelligence officer, a Chinese uh, military officer, an Iranian nuclear scientist, who are, who are providing this information. So, with that in mind, with the UTS environment, and when you say it's not just in quote high CI threat environments, it's global. Yeah, um, how do we defeat it? You know, how how do how do you and I as we're sitting down planning ops in a station? Yeah. Um, you know, how do we defeat this? Because, you know, it, 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 I think if you, you know, we, we, we have to live by the premise that we can still meet humans, human yeah. agents in person. So how do we defeat this? Or can we? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a natural question, but I think it's the wrong word. Um, it, it's a little bit like saying, um, 
how do we defeat water, right? Like without getting wet. Um, you, you don't. You don't defeat it. You adapt to it. So um, we, we don't try to walk or run on water. Uh, we swim. Um, we have scuba. We have, we have boats. We have submarines. We have submersibles. We adapt to that environment. I think that the days of old-fashioned, you and I in tradecraft, sorry, sitting in a station somewhere, and then wherever, going out and meeting somebody who has information, those days are over. Those days are over. Now, we could go out uh, in the world and, and meet people and not take a telephone and hide from cameras and not drive a car and completely dissociate. But who, who walks out of a out of a home or an office without a cell phone. Now, I mean, a toddler, you know, someone who's, who's desperately poor. Um, I used to say it was old people. Now that I've joined that category, I don't think I could do that. My father-in-law uh, is 25 years older than I am. He's on, my, on his phone more than I am. So, so we have to change the way that we think about getting access to that information. And I think it's it's all going to be much more indirect and it's going to be, uh, to, to use a term from our old days, it's going to be in pattern. So so if I could just take a, a, a few more seconds. In the old days, we, we hid, right? It was, um, everything was out of pattern. Well, out of pattern stands out in data. And, and anybody with, um, you know, any sort of modest, uh, even my level of of technical ability can find out what stands out, and so those that's gone. And so what we have to figure out is how to acquire uh, that kind of information in pattern. What is natural for us? What is natural for our targets? How do we work around um, anything that might raise suspicion or attention or look anomalous? Yeah, so it's. It's interesting, and it, it you know it comes down to issues of computational power and big data and pattern recognition, and you know if you find um, credit card data that says somebody bought a hot dog at Fenway Park, a beer at a Metallica concert, and sunscreen and duck, then you knew it was Mark. You know you um, that was. That's, I don't stand out, but no, no, no. They not would at instantly, all. <laughs> they would if they saw that. I would instantly know where you were. But in in, in any event, uh, I want to take this a step further into the world of AI, but also into the world not of counterintelligence, but of intelligence. Uh, in the last part of our podcast, but this is where we take a break and we say to everybody who's not a member, "Sorry, you're going to miss the last part of our podcast." And go become a member. Go to the dsrnetwork.com. Click on membership. Um, and on this and all the other podcasts, you get another third, and, and sometimes it's the very, very best third. For those of you um, who are not members, however, for now, we'll just say uh, so long and, and come back and join us again soon. Uh, and for those of you who are members, we say stand by. We'll keep going in a moment. 